Have you ever found yourself wondering about how artificial intelligence and faith intersect? Here we talk about how emerging technologies can align with the flourishing of all life. My name is Elias Kruger. And I'm Maggie Venter. And you are listening to the AI Theology Podcast, where faith and technology interact. Join us and expand your mind on topics like AI ethics, AI for good, guest interviews, and more. And our eighth episode is... All about generative AI. Now, generative AI is a little bit different from the technologies that we've been we've discussed up to this point. Because it, this is now about machines actually generating new content, rather than just analyzing information already out there. So, for example, machines are doing more than just being able to determine if it's a corgi butt or a loaf of bread. And now they can create a picture of a corgi eating a loaf of bread. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great analogy. Uh, can I tell I am really excited, um, also a little scared <laughs> about this uh, generative AI. Uh, in some ways, I, I love it. I've been fascinated, uh, like many people have been you know, trying different apps. But I, I think, let me read first a great quote from a Sequoia report, which is kind of an investor's report, trying to look into how will generative AI change industry. And basically says, generative AI is well on the way to becoming not just faster and cheaper, but better in some cases than what humans create by hand. Every industry that requires humans to create original work from social media to gaming, advertising, architecture, coding, graphic design, product design to law, marketing, or sales is up for reinvention. Certain functions may be completely replaced by generative AI, while others are more likely to thrive from a tight, iterative, creative cycle between human and machine. But generative AI should unlock better, faster, and cheaper creation across a wide range and of markets. The dream is that generative AI brings the marginal cost of creation and knowledge work down towards zero, generating vast labor productivity and economic value and commensurate market cap. Okay, wait, that sounds just a little bit too rosy and too too economic. So... I think you kind of mentioned it before. There also seems to be a little bit of, you know, notes of concern. For example, I'm a knowledge worker. You're a knowledge worker. Does this does this mean that machines are going to take our jobs? Well, in, in short, uh, no. But you, you bring up a good point. I think we need to, in, in any new technology, any innovation, we need to hold the benefits and risks in tension as we discuss this topic. Basically, there will be a lot of disruption and our work is very likely to change. The way that uh, people work today will probably change, uh, assuming that this you know, this technology gets widely adopted. Will there be replacement? I personally don't think fully, uh, but definitely changing how we do things, definitely that's going to happen. Okay, fair enough. And I really like that you brought up the idea of paradox because ultimately that's just central to Christianity. You know, it's linked to the idea of mystery, things like nature and grace, doubt and faith, and even the Trinity. So it really seems appropriate that this podcast is borrowing that logic of paradox. No, I, absolutely. That tension, you know, that paradox um, is key, right? And and I think it, it is maybe the first step. So we don't either step into this hype of, you know, hysteria, both positive or negative, right? 
Maybe we take a step back and, and start holding things together. But now let's dive in a little bit more into the topic, right? So we've been using the word generative AI, but some of you may not even um, you know, know, okay, what is an example of generative AI? And 2022 was a year where generative AI really came came out and, and became very popular. So you might have not heard the word generative AI, but you certainly heard about Lenza, uh, which is this app that basically creates a drawing out of your face. Uh, Midjourney, uh, it's a fantastic app I've, I've, I've used a few times where you actually type a description and, and then it creates a, kind of a painting type art. So it's not really a picture, but it's more of an of a art. Uh, there's also Dali, which is this one actually creates a picture. So you say sunset in a beach and then boom, it creates that. Not so great when at least the, the beta test that I, that I had. And then copy AIs is another one. But uh, the big one is chat GPT. So and this is certainly the pink elephant in the room. Yes. Um, it's been everywhere recently, um, boasting over 100 million users in the first two months. The fastest adoption rate in history, including TikTok and Instagram. Now, the news cycle seems to have slowed down a little, winding down um, around ChatGPT. But I think we're also starting to see actual use cases start to emerge. So like I read recently that Microsoft Bing search engine will be looking at integrating this technology. Yes, that is just one example. Um, you know, to, to provide some feed, uh, some some background, Microsoft is one of the big backers of OpenAI, which is the company that created ChatGPT. So they're really betting that that's going to maybe put them back into the search engine industry. Uh, as you know, if anybody uses Bing and Google, uh, Bing has uh, much room for improvement. <laughs> and so um, I, I think, you know, I think it's a natural improvement there for Microsoft to start using ChatGPT. Uh, because if you think about it, I mean, ChatGPT really, I don't know if, if it can be considered completely a chatbot, but it feels more like a chatbot. It feels a lot more like a conversation than, you know, typing a search in Google. There's definitely that personal touch that comes up that that you can't quite find at a search engine at this point. Yeah, and it seems like there's maybe a few other companies that I've seen too that are trying to get on this bandwagon. I think we had mentioned that maybe uh, Google is looking at their own product right. as well. That is correct. And then um, also the Chinese giant Baidu is is also uh, uh, planning to release something later in uh, in the spring or, or early March. So yes, definitely a, a lot of movement in the big tech world around this, either to, to respond or to try to incorporate that into their services. You know, with all of these, these vast use cases and talking about generating vast quantities of money and these great ideas, you know, for me personally, when I tried chat GPT, the first thing I did was have it write me a sonnet. This is... <laughs> It's a writing form that has always eluded me and like I've always wanted to do it, but it's just been out of my grasp. So mm -hmm. as silly as it seems, um, I do think that this really does show that like there's a benefit of chat GPT leveling and democratizing different forms of writing and information in a way that it hasn't been in the past. Absolutely. I, to, to share on my own, I also wrote some poems uh, primarily because I'm a terrible poet. 
And I thought ChatGPT could do a better job. And sometimes you do want to say things with with poetry. So I, I've written a few things, um, you know, just to test that out. And it was, you know, particularly impressed. It's not it, it's not like Walt Whitman or anything, but it's definitely better than Elias Kruger. So I, I'll take that um, anyway. And, um, you know, and, and here's where maybe there's room for pause, right? So So very exciting that now, you can literally describe something and um, you know, ChatGPT can can create that text uh with with surprising results. But if we start thinking about, you know, the long-term effect of that, uh there's both a democratization, but also what some may call a commoditization of art and of creative work, right? Because if it if it all it takes is uh, a few strokes uh, in a keyboard, and I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years it's more of a voice command, right? Then now suddenly it's accessible to everybody. Everybody's creating new texts, creating new poems. In some ways that changes, um, you know, art and, and and those outputs in itself, right? What what, what does it mean to, to even write a book or, or uh, write a poem or... In some cases, you know, we haven't touched it on here, but obviously it's also being used to write code, right? So to what extent uh, that democratization also leads to commoditization, right? Where these things become devalued simply because there's so much of them uh, that there's really no uniqueness to it anymore. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. And that is certainly, I think, a risk that um, there's a devaluating of the creative aspect of it. And all of the warnings about, you know, is this plagiarism? If mm. a student has chat GPT, you write them an essay, um, is that really their work? But to kind of turn that a little bit and try to kind of balance this good and bad. Um, I recently read an article by a teacher that embraced the idea of using chat GPT in school. So if you thought about my, my sonnet example, um, perhaps instead of, you know, an English teacher assigning uh, a sonnet for students to write. Maybe they have ChatGPT write them two or three sonnets, and then their task is then to edit or react to them, uh, mm -hmm. allowing that student to engage with that that literary medium and increasing their interaction and creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of along those lines, uh, Ilias, you had mentioned something recently about using um, some generating or uh, generative AI uh, for artwork. Yeah, and and this is where um, so Midjourney is is one of the apps that that can create, like I said, stunning their pictures, but they're you know artistic. They look artistic. They look like more like paintings or drawings than a, an actual image. So obviously, this is creating some some backlash right now, and and there are artists that are finding filing lawsuit against these apps because it's basically saying, hey, you're, you're using my work without authorization. So to explain this a little better, what happens is that, you know, you will type something and sometimes the references I've seen, you know, are very specific, like, you know, use uh, a Rembrandt type painting to, you know, for a house or something. And then it, it, it puts on that style. Uh, but sometimes, you know, the outcome will, will literally either mimic or be very close to an existing, you know, picture or painting. And so artists are claiming, well, this is now, you know, intellectual property, my work being used without attribution. And, and that's, you know, a problem. So that's kind of the first challenge. We don't know how, you know, how far this lawsuit is going to go, how successful it is. 
but it does, you know, illustrate uh, some of the the resistance and fears that people have. Like a lot of professors and teachers are speaking up and saying, "Hey, yeah, how can we grade, you know, essays in the age of of ChatGPT when when that can be created on its own?" And again, if if we take a step back, right, when you remove the the pain points of the creative process, yes, you gain a lot of efficiency. You get a result much faster. What do you lose? Well, a lot of times we learn a lot in the process, right? It is by struggling through. It is by, you know, deleting that paragraph five times that you become a better writer. Again, for every technology, every new technology gives you something, but also takes takes something away. And and balancing that, or at least having some conversations about that, I think it's, it's the starting point for us to start you know, thinking through these things. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just, there's a ton of examples out there now, um, generative AI, um, you know, even with ChatGPT, uh, folks are using it to help them code. Other folks are actually using this to create malware. So um, there, there's a positive and a negative on there. But wondering if we can just shift gears just a little bit here and really think about, okay, AI theology podcast, what can we really do now looking at these contents and these examples um, to really to really add value to the to this conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a it's a great question, Maggie. I mean, obviously, if you search uh, podcasts on on ChatGPT, uh, you will find many or even generative AI. So we do we do feel like we we want to bring a you know, a different uh, lens to it, right? So I think we, up to now, this is information you could have found it anywhere. Uh, we just kind of a curating here for you. It's just so what, right? Where do we go from here? How do we engage in this conversation? Because in some ways, what I'm grateful about ChatGPT is that it has um, really sparked a conversation that goes beyond uh, tech. It goes beyond, it's really wide in society. It's a global conversation. Everybody's talking about it. The media has picked up. Uh, you have teachers, you have professors, you have people at a supermarket. I've got, especially because, you know, my my association with AI college, people are coming to me and, I, and saying, oh yeah, did you see about ChatGPT? And suddenly there's a lot more people thinking about it, right? So I think that's very positive and maybe an opportunity for us to start engaging in a different way. When I say that is because especially people of faith, we are very, you know, past focused because we are grounded in tradition. And that usually oftentimes tends to to lead to reactions that are knee-jerk to new things. We, we tend to be first scared and then accepted. So like like we, we tend to kind of our cycle of acceptance takes a little bit longer. So, so maybe this is a way, this is an opportunity for us to do this differently, right? How can we do that, right? And and so I wanted to start with with like a few recommendations. The first one is, you know, it, it is important to, in some shape or form, to keep the pulse, you know, keep your finger in the pulse of kind of what is happening in the technology uh, trend. That's something I've done more and more. I think when I, my, the news that I consume right now is maybe 60% technology related 40% everything else. Now of course this is part of what I do and and you know I'm not saying everybody should do that but but really monitoring understanding this is important. Uh, what I really want all of us to avoid, right? Is to read that one article that raises the alarm about generative AI and suddenly that becomes our opinion on the topic. And it's very easy to do that, right? That you have a very compelling a writer and they say, oh, ChatGPT is going to destroy all jobs. And suddenly that's that's our uh, perspective on it. I, I think it is important for us to engage by tracking and monitoring 
these you know how this technology is developing through multiple sources right yeah i think this is a great point and even just keeping a pulse on technology trends is keeping a pulse on what's going on in the world right mm -hmm. if we truly believe that god is the creator humanity then is creating these things and it's an extension of them you're learning more about the potential of, of his creation right as an extension mm -hmm. of humans creating these things so it's good to keep a pulse on there. Um, and like you said, um, I think as we've shown, at least in this talk so far, is there's a lot of things that may seem scary right away, but when you really start to pick them apart, you can you can reapply them within a better framework or a better thought pattern and understand that yes, it can lead to something, but it doesn't have to. Right. You bring a great point. I think that that should inoculate us against this technological determinism, right? That, oh, now because this technology is available, then these things must happen. But we forget that technologies are embedded into social and environmental systems. And, you know, adoption, application of it is, is not just dependent on its availability, but on a lot of different factors. I guess if, if we if we start by just, uh, yeah, keeping keeping that pulse, but understanding the complexity of it, not trying to understand everything, but also, you know, paying attention to where things are going, right? Uh, you know, maybe in six months, I hope eventually the news cycle is going to win down, as you say, that's already happening. And, and so I, I feel like it's a good practice to just keep that discipline, even when it's not the alarm, alarm is not being sounded. So that's one step. The next one, I, I feel it's really important is that we also don't don't swing to just, you know, focusing on trends, right? We do want to reach back to ancient sources of wisdom. And this is where faith, you know, religion and spirituality really have much to give, because we are grounded on these ancient sources of wisdom you know for christians you know obviously uh, you know the bible is 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 a, a, a top one you know for jewish could be the, the torah there are many other sacred writings but i think it is important and this is maybe the, the job of maybe not everybody will enter into this but i i do invite many to you know, as we ponder on these things, can we look back at these sources of wisdom and see if we can find something that could speak to it, right? Not not just uh, something that would uh, condemn it, but maybe something that could bring a new perspective. I don't know, Meg, is there anything that comes to mind as you think about you know, ancient sources of wisdom? As you said that, I actually, what popped into my mind is Ecclesiastes. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. Um, and... I think that that's a good kind of perspective to have when you're looking at new ideas and new trends is that in some ways it's not all new, right? It's right. just different manifestations. Like p humans are creative. We're mm. a creative thing that was created. And, and this generative AI can extend that story in a fantastic way, right? Instead of replacing it, right? Starting to see in these ancient sources of wisdom, whatever it may be, that these things are probably not manifesting the same way, but they are tapping on some very broad, universal, very human concepts. Yes, absolutely, right? It reminds us that this is an extension of, of humanity. Uh, we've been around for a while. Uh, the universe has been around for even longer, and this is and, and this ChatGPT has been around for two months. So <laughs> let's keep that in perspective, uh, and 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 you know not not forget that. So I think that's a good way, a good example of like how to to even start this dialogue with ancient sources of wisdom, so that we're not entering into this 
realm of paranoia or simply techno optimism where you know everything's just going to get better right so that's uh again second step um the third one i think we touched a little bit but it's this idea of standing in the paradox the way i like to describe it is even more standing in the paradox of hope and despair so if we if we take these not these kind of cute uses that that sometimes we may talk about oh yeah we're you know for writing poems or for writing a business plan that will never come to pass whatever but if we expand it out to like, okay, yeah, some people will lose jobs, right? Some people will lose their livelihood. Some artists will be ripped off. In some ways, that will happen. But then we can talk about the democratization side. Then maybe somebody, uh, you know, um, in the the in the global south can now write code that they could never be because they didn't even have access to like a coding school where they were. And so when we start moving into kind of hope and despair, right, both the, the beautiful and the very ugly, can we have the capacity, right? And, and, and this is, this is, this is hard, hard work here. Can we have the capacity and the heart to stand holding these two together and not either falling into despair or simply, you know, staying in, in, in a blind hope that does not see reality, right? And this is where I talk about, you know, what I believe is standing in that paradox of hope uh, and despair. And I, I like to read a, a, a small quote on that. It says, to transform opposition into paradox is to allow both sides of an issue, both pairs of opposites to exist in equal dignity and worth. If I sit with them a while, they will fashion a solution that is agreeable to both, or even better, a situation that is superior to either one. If I can stay with my conflicting impulses long enough, the two opposing forces will teach each other something and produce an insight that serves them both. The solution must rise from the dynamics of the opposing energies that are facing each other. Um, Another analogy I like to think about is is even like electricity. You need negative and a positive pole for electricity to flow. So standing in this paradox of hope and despair with a small caveat, which I'm, I must add, that work can be draining, emotionally draining, psychologically draining, physically draining. And that's why, and I know you've been hearing this from multiple voices, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo again, self-care. That, that we don't enter in this without taking care of ourselves and taking care of where we are and knowing when to stop, knowing when to you know, walk away from it. Uh, so can we stand in paradox of hope and despair, but also with self-care? Yeah, I, I really, really like this one. And now it's going to, just a little patience here, but um, the analogy that popped into my mind was contingency planning in software People don't like to talk about what happens when things go wrong. But when you do, when you develop your, your fail cases, the first step is just to make sure, hey, it's not as bad as it seems. We can quickly get the user out of this and okay, or into an okay path. But then later, you can prevent that from happening, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically to your quote, but like a situation that's superior to either one, right? Um, and, and that helps us to stay alert and vigilant to negative sides and maybe prevent some of these things or ameliorate the items so they're not as bad. And that way too, I think, can help reduce some of the pressure. But the self-care portion is extremely important as well. I think that allows us to show up to this engagement, right? Um, we we want to be able to show up fully, 
holistic, not just uh, as an analytical exercise, but with full humanity. And like I said, this is something that is hard. We we tend to compartmentalize our lives. And maybe this is an opportunity and an invitation for us to expand, to bring these things together, bring these paradoxes um, together. But you know, much more could be said about that. But I, I, I do hope that that you get a sense of, of of what we're trying to say here to really hold that paradox. Don't jump into conclusions. Stay in there, but do it with self-care. And I do want to add finally a fourth one that, um, you know, especially we in theology are engaging more and more, which is what we're calling activist imagination. What we're talking about here is that, especially when we are handling or discussing issues of technology. It is most often a concern about the future, a concern about how will this technology impact X, Y, and Z. Even as we talk about ChatGPT, nobody's scared about ChatGPT as it is today. It is it is a very good app and, and people can use it for a lot of things. Nobody's scared of that. A lot of people are concerned about where will this lead? I think activist imagination is about, well, Let's talk about where this is going to lead. Let's imagine where this is going to go. You know, let's uh, let's explain and illustrate w- what that is, and then present it to others with the hope that we can generate some action in the present. Right. So it's a little bit like the the prophetic role where you are telling people, hey, here's the future that you're building. You choose today. Do you like that? Is that what you want? And maybe you can say, yes, I I want that. I want a future where people can press a button and things will be generated. Or maybe you're like, ah, I, I want that, but with care, with parameters, uh, right? And so um, how do we do that? By first, but first we need to paint pictures. And for that, we need an imagination. And it, and it's activist in the sense that you're, you're imagining with the purpose to create action in the present. You're imagining the future to foster action in the present. And, and so uh, this is something that, you hear more from from us. Uh, we'll, we'll start having some examples on on this and, and other technologies. We do believe that the discussion on technology has to be future focused, while also being grounded again, as we said, in the dialogue with ancient sources. And you know, from a tactical standpoint, that actually reminded me a whole lot of the scenario conversations that we've been having recently. Yes, about the creating the you know two by two matrix and positives and negatives together. Um, it actually, like, it seems like it really helps to reduce some of the risk. It, it seems to re- help reduce risk, but then also just the anxiety around it. Um, and I think here adding in that idea of imagination and coming to it with a sense of curiosity um, will definitely help to kind of throttle down some of that concern of a future that might just run wild. Absolutely. I love that. Yes. Um, I think curiosity, right? A, a, I love curiosity because curiosity is kind of a little bit detached, right? Is not necessarily for or against it. It's just like, huh, what is here? Right. What is this? Right. Can, can we approach things? And if we can approach things like technology, like what this technology may bring with curiosity, I think we'll, will again, be able to show up more to this engagement and be present to it. Well, great conversation, Maggie, but we've reached 
the end of our episode. But of course, this conversation doesn't have to end here. So I want to invite all of you listening to join our community and don't miss out on these discussions. If you want to continue the conversation, you can join us on either Instagram or Facebook, both at AI Theology. Also, don't forget to follow and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Goodbye. Goodbye.